We have a person in our church that has two artificial knees and two artificial hips. And, you know, who knows what's next? You become the bionic man. And uh, they have artificial shoulders and hips and knees, and I don't know if they have uh, elbows and wrists, but they have a lot of different body parts. And then you can get transplants. Uh, several people I know have had heart transplants. They have a heart beating in their chest that belonged to someone else. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't know what they, how many different organs they can transplant, but uh, I know kidneys and probably livers and lungs and eyeballs and ears. And so how much, this is sort of a weird question, how much of you can be changed, whether it be artificial or someone else's, and it still be you? I mean, 50%, then you're no longer you, but who are you? And do you change personality if you get a different liver, or is it still the same personality? So I don't know, I don't think they've ever done a brain transplant. If they did, if my brain would become Bill Schutzman's brain, would Bill Schutzman still be Bill Schutzman or would he now be D. Duke? He would look like Bill Schutzman, but with my brain he probably would. So you live in this physical thing called a body, and in our body, the Bible says, is this disease, this virus called sin. Difficult to describe other than the fact that we experience it in reality. And so it's clear in the Bible that our physical body is the seat, is the place in which this virus, this sin virus, resides. And uh, we inherited it from our father. He inherited it from his all the way back to Adam. And so we are all born with this predisposition to sin. Uh, and so we have this sin nature the Bible most often calls uh, the flesh. That is this pull towards sin. And I notice some things about my kids. With eight kids, you know, you notice each, something about each one of them. And they were all different, but they all had some common denominators and one of them was, every one of them was born lazy. you think one of them would have been like me. <laughs> now, I think, uh, listening to my mom tell the story, I was born lazy too. But it just took a lot of work for parents to drum that out of me over the years. So when we raised our kids, we sat down as a result of counseling that we got and wrote out ten goals targets of things we were going to proactively parent for. We weren't simply going to react to negative, bad behavior. We were going to train towards right behavior. And so we targeted 12 character traits. One of the major ones was diligence. We were going to teach them, train them to be diligent, to, to enjoy working hard so that they wouldn't be lazy. And so as much as we did and worked on them, they still, that lazy factor came out regularly. Now, there was a point, oh, 20 years ago, in which I would say that 
there was no laziness in me. But for some reason, over the last 20 years, it's reoccupied me. I am now lazy to the bone. Uh, there's a lot of things I don't do because I don't want to do that. That's just too hard. I'd rather sit in my chair, my recliner. I'd rather sit in my hot tub. I'd rather lay in my bed. I don't want to do that. And uh, so some of you I've observed are similar. Uh, you're becoming less mobile, less active, less ambitious. You're doing less and less laziness is conquering, conquering us a little bit by little bit by little bit. So I have a problem, you have a problem, that's our flesh. It's what keeps us from becoming holy. It's what become, it keeps us from becoming righteous is this thing we live in. It's our major barrier. And so in your notes, number one, our flesh is a big problem for us. Our flesh is a big problem for us. And so righteousness and holiness is primarily conquering our flesh so that it doesn't run us. You know these uh, government mandate things that are kind of floating around pretty regularly? Uh, occasionally that comes up in discussions like 90% of every discussion I'm in. And the thing I don't like about those things is somebody telling me what to do. And so when somebody tells me what to do, I get real irritated and rebellious and cranky. And it's the only place that Patty and I ever have a fight anymore is when she bosses me around. Uh, and I'll just say, woman, quit bossing me around. <laughs> and my daughter, Sherry, she bosses me around. And I, when she does, I just really twerks me off. I just, uh, something inside of me doesn't like being told what to do. So, who do you want to win? You, the real you, or your flesh? Because your flesh has a will and has a plan and has a goal and has a desire and it's going to drag you into that if you don't conquer it. And so one of the things that ought to motivate us is I don't want my flesh to run my life. I want me, the real me, to run my life. Matthew 26, 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, that's the real us, that's little, little s, that's our spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So we have this battle. Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, the desire of the flesh. See, your flesh has a desire. Your flesh has a want to. Uh, it's just pulled in certain directions. Your flesh does, mine does as well. The desire of the flesh. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. These are in opposition to one another. That is your flesh and the spirit so that you may not do the things that you please. That you may not do the things that you please. Beloved, 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. The soul, that is your inner person. Your flesh wages war against your soul. It wages war against your spirit. It wages war against the Holy Spirit. There's this constant fight taking place in us. Galatians 5, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, grousing, things like these, which would include lusting after pumpkin pie 
and uh, whatever ones are on your list. It's sort of an endless list, all these things that the fleshes are inclined to. Paul mentioned a bunch, and then he said in things like these. Romans 7, 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh. I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. I am pr not practicing what I would like to do. I am doing the very thing I hate. If I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Sin which indwells me, it's a virus that's in us. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The wishing is present, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it. But sin which, dwell, which dwells in me, and I find then the principle that evil is present in me, Evil is present in me, and evil is present in you, the one who wishes to do good. So we're talking this series, How to Be Holy. And so bottom line, we're talking about how do you win this battle? The flesh sets its will against the spirit, and they battle and fight. So if you want to win and conquer your flesh, make it your slave, not the other way around. How are you going to do that? How are you going to pull that off? And if you don't have some kind of a strategy, you'll lose. And you'll lose at some key points in your life and in your journey where this battle comes to a head. Uh, who's going to win? Uh, you, the real you, or your flesh? 1 Corinthians 3, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. As to babies in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly. You know, it appears like when you're fleshly, walking in the flesh, you have a difficult time understanding the Bible. Paul says, I couldn't give you meat, that is the deep things of the Word of God, the difficult things. I had to give you milk, that is the stuff that you get when you're in third grade Sunday school class, because you're fleshly. And it's obvious because there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Number two, our flesh wants to be comfortable and to do easy and that we're born lazy and unmotivated. So, what is it that you now presently choose not to do because you're lazy. Now, if I offend you, I'm sorry, but it's all of us. But the fact is, there are some things that you ought to do that you're not doing, and the reason is because you're lazy. When I say you're lazy, I'm talking about this thing that you live in. Now, we try and train it, but it gains the upper hand regularly in our life. So let me suggest to you, and I'll get to this as a conclusion, but uh, just so you know where I'm going, this is December. December. What do I always do in December? I nag about goals. And as much as I nag about goals, there's a whole bunch of people who don't set goals. Now if I were to say, why don't you set a goal? 
Why don't you set five goals? Why don't you set 10 goals? Why don't you set 12 goals? You might say, well, because I don't want to. The reason is because you're lazy. It's easier not to. Now, you could argue if you want that, well, gold, I don't need goals. Or you could tell me any number of intellectual kinds of reasons why you don't set goals, but I know and you know that's not true. You just say that so that you feel good about the fact that you don't set goals. Uh, anybody, anybody who sets goals accomplishes more than the one who doesn't. That's just across the board. And anybody who says, I can do as much as the person who sets goals without setting goals is a big fat liar. I know it. They know it. But they still refuse to set goals. And the reason is because it's easier not to. It's easier not to. And so one of the things that becomes important if we're going to move on and become holy and righteous is we've got to be somewhat honest with ourselves as we deal with our flesh. Because our flesh lies to us. It says this is true and it's not. It says this is what we want and it's not. And if we have to be able to maneuver through that stuff that's going on in our head that's really not true that our flesh generates. Uh, and so to figure out what, what is true, what is important, and then if we're going to not do goals, it's better to say, instead of saying, well, it's the better choice, just say, I don't want to. And when you say that, you understand that the I is this part, not this part. And you're letting this part run your life. And um, I did it two days ago. I hate to say this when Sherry's listening. But I went into the kitchen and there was a half a piece of pie. A big half a piece of pie. I mean, I'm not talking about half a piece of little pie. I'm talking about the whole pie. Now, sugar aggravates my Parkinson's. Only a stupid person would eat a whole bunch of sugar in one setting that knew that. So did I? I did. So, what's my excuse? Wasn't me doing it, it was my flesh. That's what Paul said. It was the sin which indwells me. Wasn't me, I didn't want to do it. It was that dirty, rotten sin in me. So I can let it run my life or I can conquer it, but the problem is, is that often I lose. Often you do as well. Now, when that happens, I can say, it's not that bad. It really doesn't create a problem. I don't gain any weight, and it didn't create any problems for my... I can just lie up a storm about what I did so that I feel good about the fact that I did it, or I can simply say, that was a stupid thing to do. And, uh, but I did it, and I'll work really hard at not doing it again. And so you battle every day, every day, every day with this flesh, this thing we live in. But the worst thing you can do is to deceive yourself uh, by justifying what you did as being okay when your flesh is the one that motivated it. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves gets nothing. Soul of the diligent is made fat. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death. His hands refuse to work. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. 
Now this is the one that Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the way is broad. That means it's easy, comfortable, that's what our flesh likes, that leads to destruction or failure. And many are those who enter by it. The gate is small, the way is narrow, it's hard, it's difficult, that leads to life or success or fruit-bearing or character growth or holiness. And few, few are those who find it or enter through it. And so I know that, you know that, that's just the way it is. Hard is not the popular choice, easy is, and so we tend to do that. Number three, we can be diligent in some things, lazy in others. Our laziness is in those things or areas that our flesh doesn't like. So I like to split firewood and, and I like to work on my car and uh, I like to work on my boat and I like to work on the church and I generally like to work. Physical activity I enjoy. And it's a little bit slower now and a little bit, but I still enjoy it a great deal. But uh, next week is the five days of prayer. Do you know what you do physically in the five days of prayer? Nothing. You just sit there. You just sit there and listen and pray and think. And I write. Now, how hard is that? If I don't make a goal to go next week to the five days of prayer, I can come up with a bazillion reasons why I should be doing something at home or in my office and make that a small, minimal thing that I do. I hear all kinds of reasons why people don't go to the five days of prayer. You know what the bottom line is? Their flesh hates it. And they let their flesh win. I was doing a prayer seminar here a couple years ago, and I said, I hate to pray. This lady came up and just gave me the business. Man, I mean, she was even wagging her finger at me. She says, I can't believe you said that in front of everybody here. You're doing a prayer seminar, trying, and you tell everybody you hate to pray. I said, uh, how about you? You like praying? I mean, you pray quite a bit? Well, no. So you hate praying too. I just admit it. You don't. Um, when I say I, I'm not talking about the real me. I'm talking about this thing I live in. And so I have to overcome that if I'm going to pray. I have to overcome that if I'm going to read my Bible. I'm gonna, I have to overcome that if I'm going to memorize Bible verses. Almost anything that's spiritual, I have to overcome my flesh because it doesn't want to do it. It hates it. And so most people's flesh hates to set goals. There's just something about a goal that all of a sudden creates this pressure and this fear in that we've now defined uh, and according to our brain success and failure I might not do it I might not make it I might not oh wow it's easier just to kind of say whatever Lord willing we'll just trust him to do whatever he wants to do number three uh, number four our flesh is the seed of our pride and our pride fears failure so our flesh prompts us to play it safe no risks So if we were to say, what's the biggest problem with your pride, my pride? Probably the biggest problem we have in the sense of what's in our flesh is our pride. Our flesh likes to look good, look pretty, appear smart, intelligent, uh, 
talented, on the list goes, and so our flesh is always... Uh, you hear somebody sort of boasting? Where did that come from? Right out of our flesh. Our flesh loves to look pretty and to sound intelligent and to be successful, and anything that would threaten that, our flesh will resist uh, with everything that it's got. Matthew 25, 24, and the one who also had received the one talent, remember there was the one with five, one with two, one with one, Jesus goes on a journey, the master goes on a journey, comes back with the one with five, earned five more, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one with two earned two more, well done, good and faithful servant. The one with one who had received came up and said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid... I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. Lazy slave. See, Jesus put his finger right on the problem there. Uh, lazy. Is, our flesh is lazy because it doesn't want to take a risk. doesn't want to do the hard thing. Five, our flesh is the number one reason we don't bear much fruit for God for eternity. That's God's will for me, for you, that we would bear much fruit, much fruit, much fruit, more fruit. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. He prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. I don't know exactly what that means, pruning. And so... He does it, and he does it to me, and so it's doing whatever is needed as a farmer would with a grapevine to get to bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch dries up. They gather them, cast them into the fire. They are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You bear much fruit. And so the question, am I? Uh, could I bear more? He prunes us so that we can bear more and more and more. Problem is my flesh. Everything I ought to do to bear more fruit, my flesh hates. So it's a battle every turn, every day, to conquer my flesh. Our flesh is the anchor. Number six, our flesh is the anchor that keeps us from growing rapidly in character to become like Jesus Christ. So I want to be holy and righteous. It's just a matter of doing it. But I have this flesh, this anchor that keeps pulling me back and it creates this constant pull towards the easy as opposed to the hard. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul in Philippians 3 says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Perfect means character grown up, mature, like Jesus. I press on. At press on, that means I give it the total effort. I'm, I just give it everything I've got. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I work hard. I give it everything I've got. Seven, our flesh loves ice cream, but hates to do the basic disciplines of the Christian life. It loves pumpkin pie, but doesn't like to pray. Our flesh loves to sleep, but doesn't like to read the Bible. Eight, we need to conquer, beat, and kill our flesh. So, I tell you what, next Wednesday, let's all come with a plastic baseball bat. And I'll beat you for a while, and then you beat me. I'll beat you first. <laughs> so, this is what I'm wanting to deal with. Will that kind of help? Beat our flesh, conquer our flesh, destroy our flesh, crucify our flesh. I don't know if that plastic baseball bat will work. Maybe a wooden one. Galatians 5, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh have crucified the flesh. You ever read that and say, what does that mean? What does that mean? How do I do that? Man, I hate this thing I live in. It's always causing me to do the wrong thing, and I sure love to crucify it. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead, dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says, I buffet my body, I beat my body, make it my slave. You ever read that and say, Lord, I know, but how? How do I do that? Number nine, writing goals that we intend to pursue with all our might is the best tool to use in conquering our flesh. So I believe John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I believe that verse to be true. There's not a shred of doubt in me that that verse is true. Personally believe it, and I sell it to other people as much as I possibly can. You need to believe this if you want to go to heaven and not go to hell. It's a core belief in me. So, 
Let me read this again, number nine. Writing goals that we intend to pursue with all our might is the best tool to use in conquering our flesh. So I believe that to be true. Every fiber in me believes it to be true. That's why I write goals. I don't do it because it's fun. I do it because it works. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They don't eat pie at midnight. Exercise self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. That's a reward in heaven. Therefore, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I run in such a way as not without aim. That's just a nice way of saying I pursue goals. I have an aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Just doing good intentions going through the motions. I buffet my body, my flesh. I make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Philippians 3 again. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on. I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number 10, write goals that motivate you to learn new things, to do and experience new things, to acquire new skills. <clears throat> so I got a call today on the phone and a person on the other end of the phone offered to teach me how to weld a, with a TIG welder. His question was, do you know how to weld with a TIG welder? I have never even looked at a TIG welder. I've never touched one. I have no clue how to weld with a TIG welder. Would you like to learn? I would like to learn something new every year that I've never learned before. Might as well give it a shot and see. Number 11, write goals that will help you to overcome bad habits, to pick up good habits, and to grow in character. Bad habits, good habits. How do you change bad habits into good habits? You decide. You choose. And you set a goal and you keep working at it. Twelve, write goals to serve others, to meet needs in the lives of others. So my flesh doesn't like to help you. Nothing against you personally. I just, my flesh, it's my flesh. Not me, it's not real, it's my flesh. So you'll excuse me if I don't help you because, you know, my flesh doesn't like you, doesn't want to help you, but am I going to let my flesh run my body? Am I going to let my flesh run my life? I'm going to buffet my flesh, make it my slave and do the things I want to do, but how am I going to do that? I'm going to decide, I'm going to choose and the more important it is, the more solid the choice needs to make and a choice that's not written down is a choice that's forgotten. It's a choice that's forgotten. 13, write goals to faithfully practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life. Read your Bible every day. You'll do that if you make a goal to do it. 
Pray 15 minutes a day, just you and God, nothing else. Fourteen, our flesh is obsessed with keeping us in a rut because the rut we live in is familiar and comfortable. We know we can do this because we've done it. We're comfortable. It's a rut. And we don't like to risk doing, attempting new things. Our pride in our flesh will keep us in a rut, doing what we've always done because eh, we've not done too bad at it, so let's just keep doing what we've always done. And as long as you keep doing what you've always done, you'll be the same person you've always been. Your character won't change. And so if you're going to grow your character, you've got to do some stuff that you've never done before. And your flesh hates that. Fifteen, our flesh be chooses to forget to do those things that are uncomfortable and hard. <laughs> you know what I heard from my kids more than any other thing when they were growing up? I mean, this is like two to one to second place. The repeated line as they grew up, I forgot, I forgot. I mean, you would think one of them would have an original line. All said it, I forgot. I, did you haul the wood in? I forgot. Did you do your homework? I forgot. Did you brush your teeth? I forgot. So did they really, or were they making that up? Now, I can say with total honesty, that I forget to read my Bible. Really, I do. I went to bed last night. Last night was Tuesday. We went out to dinner with Mike and Jody for his birthday. We got home. I had eaten until was, I was stuffed. And the first thing I did when I got home was check the refrigerator out. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I forgot to ride my bike last night. I ride my bike every night for an hour. It's important for me so I don't get all stove up. I went to bed last night at about 1 o'clock. I woke up with a start. I don't think I rode my bike. Did I, me, the real me, say, eh, I don't need to? You know, our flesh has a will of its own and it doesn't like to do things that are good for us, so it will forget. So how do you overcome that flesh? You write it down. If you don't write it down, you'll forget it. I have a list of things I need to do every night before I go to bed. I didn't read the list. You know why I didn't read the list? I forgot to. So I forgot to read my list, and so then I forgot to do most of the things on my list. Why? It's tough getting old, isn't it? It's tough living in this fleshly body. Numbers 11, 5 through 6. We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this stupid manna. Did they really have it so good in Egypt? No, they were slaves, but they kind of forgot. Revelations 2, 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and re will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Key, remember, remember. 16, the key to learning and growing and changing is repetition and review. So you write a goal and you read it. And you read it every day, every day, every day. You know, our flesh hates that. 
But that's how you change, that's how you grow, that's how you conquer, that's how you beat your flesh. Write down your goals and read them every day and you'll do them and you'll change. Second Peter 1.12, Therefore I, all, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So you know what Peter was saying? He had the same gift I have, the gift of nagging. Romans 15.50, And I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again <clears throat> Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it. Meditate. That means go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. And the result is you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it by going over it and over it and over it. Uh, 17, write good goals and read them every day if you really want to accomplish them. So I went over my goals last night and I dropped a couple of them and added a couple of them, uh, new ones. Most people won't write goals because they're lazy. Nineteen, very few people after writing goals will read them even once a week because they're lazy. So I am, and we all are, the problem is, is we don't admit it, and then we don't do what we ought to do. 20, as you read your goals every day, as you read your goals every day, you will get excited with some and bored with others. Some of them will just turn your crank and push your button and get you excited. Others of them, it's like, ah. Oh. So do you know what I do with the ones that bore me? I delete them. Somebody says, is that legal? Or my goals. My goals are designed to motivate me, so if I have a goal that bores me, doesn't motivate me, I delete it. Now, when I wrote it, I didn't think it would, but it does, and it does, so I get rid of it. And I put a different one in there. Add new goals, drop goals, adjust goals as you are inspired to do so. So I write a set of goals before the year, before my birthday, October 27th, and I start reading them. And by December 1st, I've changed about 10% of them. Of the 73 goals I wrote, I changed almost 10 of them. Because as I start reading them, I think, this is a boring goal. Or this is a dumb goal. I don't know why I wrote this goal. Well, then it's easy because it's on my computer and I can just put an arrow on it and hit the little delete button. Boop. It's gone. And I can declare it accomplished. <laughs> but because I want 73 goals, then I have to write a new goal. And my new goals are almost always fishing goals. Not always, but they're, they motivate. Now, so I have spiritual goals, patty goals, weight loss goals. <laughs> they're not going so well right now. And... Uh, and, uh, and a variety of goals in every area of my life, and I want to accomplish them, but some motivate, some don't, and so I keep adding ones that motivate. I read them every day, and the probability of accomplishing most of them is really high. I get to the end of the year, and I read the goals, and I see 
ah, I've done this, I've accomplished this, I learned how to weld with a TIG welder and I read my Bible every day and I memorized 80 new verses and I went out on 14 dates with my wife and a whole list of things I wouldn't have done had I not written it down and made a goal to do it because my flesh will keep me in a rut. And so you want to grow, you want to change, you want to conquer your flesh, best tool you have is goals. And so if you want, send me a copy of your goals. I'll put them under your name in my, in my prayer app and I'll pray that God gives you the motivation and the strength to be faithful to those and to accomplish them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that you've made us as people that have been created in your image and in your likeness. Uh, everything you do is premeditated. You uh, planned everything before the foundation of the world. You set goals, and you work towards those to accomplish them, and you've created us in your image, your likeness. We function best when we function like you. And Lord, when we establish uh, our desire, our wants, when we write down what we know is your will and uh, then review it and pursue it, Lord, we grow, we accomplish, we bear fruit, and we beat our flesh. I pray that we would want to win the war that we strive every day, that is to be spiritual, not to be fleshly, to be men of the spirit, not uh, men and women of the flesh. And the fruit of the flesh is obvious. The fruit of the Spirit is as well. And you've told us that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. We want very much that to be a description of our life. Help us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.